Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Athletes Compass, where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. This week, we're talking about recovery, how we know we're fully recovered, why recovery is so important. I know one way that I can tell that I'm not recovered from training is I get a little crabby and a little irritable, um, and my wife lets me know that. Um, but how do I know when I'm recovered? Mariana, let's start with you. How do endurance athletes, everyday athletes, monitor their recovery to ensure they're getting enough rest and not overtraining? I think um, I would say in a similar way as you. You you know if you're moody and cranky, if you're short with your partner, um, maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Um, but you can, I think it's important again, like, the last episode we talked about developing the feel. Um, you know when you're ready for a workout, um, if you're feeling good and energized, which we often are not if we are lacking sleep. Um, so a really fresh uh, reminder for myself is uh, prioritizing sleep if you can. And if you can't, then stick to the plan until you can't, meaning... Um, this weekend, my, um, sleep was less than optimal because of kids' baseball games. And this morning I woke up really groggy, not feeling energized. Um, yes, <laughs> my usual morning coffee didn't help much. So I went for a morning walk, uh, with my dog. And then I decided to jump on a bike because that was in the plan, recovery bike ride. And so I stuck to the plan and actually jumping off the bike, I feel a lot better. So that zone one, zone two training, that usually tells me if I feel groggy before the training session and I feel energized after, that was just what my body needed. Do you have a Garmin watch or an Apple watch that monitors your recovery does it tell you you know what you're using i mean sometimes i find the recommendations from my garmin device are, are just like they're crazy i would say they're crazy too <laughs> <laughs> so i i have a garmin watch and most of the time the the recommendations are way off uh sometimes it's saying i am ready for training and i feel absolute garbage <laughs> And sometimes opposite. So um, I wouldn't take the Garmin advice um, for granted. I, I don't think it's it's optimal. Paul, you know, we've talked a lot about health, but what's the science behind actual recovery in the context of endurance training? Why can't we go hard every day? And does this go back to that general adaptation syndrome that we talked about uh, last in the last episode? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Paul. Um, you, 
just ultimately remember that exercise is a form of stress, right? So we, you both let off, you know, talking about your own stresses in your life and how your partner, you know, they'll, they'll tell you when you're a little bit cranky and whatnot. So you, I think we all know whether when we, when we're feeling fresh or, or when we're, when we're not. Um, So it really isn't, it isn't too much different in the exercise context, but perhaps with the added, um, the added part where there's a lack of what we call neuromuscular control or, and also sometimes uh, muscle soreness, the two kind of go hand in hand. And one of the, in the coaching context, we often call it pop, like how's your pop factor? And, and this is, it really kind of comes from, from the sport of running really like runners know when they, when they've got that pop in their legs and they can just, you know, it just feels, they feel light on their feet and they have a, you know, a spring in their step. And that's when they're, you know, they're fully recovered. And in the, in the opposite, um, you know, if you are, you know, at the end of an Ironman, we might talk about this later on, but at the end of an Ironman, say, for example, or a marathon, you don't have much pop in your legs in the days, days later after, right? So now we're kind of, and this is where we're in the exercise context, we kind of go from this central fatigue to a peripheral fatigue and both are both are um there's two components of those right so you guys kind of led off where um you your partners notice the central fatigue in you and um and your crankiness but then even though you, you know sometimes you can still take that crankiness go onto the onto the track and you still might have some pop in your step or you might not, and and it's usually really you know at the end of an Ironman or or after you know days after an Ironman, you probably have lack of central fatigue and a lack of uh, and a or sorry you have a central fatigue, and you have no no uh, no no pop factor as well a lot of a lot of muscle damage, um, so yeah I think that's probably the exercise context there. I think um, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Prof. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I guess I, I what I failed to kind of mention was the in the context of the the general adaptation syndrome, which was your question. And in that, remember, just a review on the general adaptation um, uh, um, syndrome or Sele's uh, model is is basically you need to stress yourself, and then you need to recover from that stress. And then if you stress yourself too much, you go into a like a downward sort of spiral. So in the recovery context uh, that we're talking about today, we're, we're in that, we're in that phase where it's, we're overstressed and we're just not, we're maladapting. Ultimately, we're not adapting to the, to the stress that we're giving our body or we've given it too much and we need time ultimately to, to recover. That is the number one thing that, that is important is, is time like time time heals all wounds is an old the old saying right well it's the same it heals our our own wounds as well when we when we go and stress ourselves but we have to give ourselves that time take away stress and we can talk about all the various different ways that we can do that and absorb stress and and take it on board later on i i just wanted to um give an example of the central fatigue due to weekends um, stressors <laughs> and 
So yesterday I felt extremely fatigued and sleepy. Had a long nap in the afternoon after baseball games, but I still had 90 minute run to do. So I had to gather all willpower to get on that run. But once I started running, I had the pop. So I was like, my muscles weren't fatigued. I still, and the run was amazing. I had lots of fun, felt really good. So I guess my point is, yes, you have those times when you're tired, but you can still have a good training session. But if you keep doing, repeating the same cycle where you don't fully recover or your sleep is disturbed, and then you put on more training stress that that will ultimately lead in time to overreaching. And if you don't course uh, correct uh, overtraining. Yeah, you know, I, I use HRV for training, Marco Altini's app to help me monitor my training recovery. And I generally use it to double check my gut feeling and fatigue levels because even when it sometimes gives me a green sign i feel in in your words mariana you know like trash and it's like no i'm taking the day off but sometimes when it's yellow i still ride i don't necessarily you know in cycling we call it snap and not pop but i, I don't feel necessarily the snap but i still feel like okay there's value in this and i'm still feeling good um but Sometimes HRV for training gives me a red flag. And what are some red flags that athletes and coaches should watch out for when you are monitoring your training data? Well, I mean, the first one, Paul, just uh, on on your, you know, on the back of what you've just said, when you're monitoring HRV, if you happen to be monitoring HRV, if you are, if you have a baseline level that you're quite confident in, which is what you would gather from a heart rate variability system. Um, you know, this is forefront of mind for myself as we're developing this in Athletica right now. But you basically, you'll have a like say a sixty-day average um, up to that, and you wind up getting like a band of those of where that you know that rolling average kind of sits, or sorry, your normal your normal line sits, and then as you move through your your day-to-day -day training. Um, you, you will have values that are inside and outside of this, but we shouldn't actually look at a single day, just to your point. If you're looking at a single red day where heart rate variability is down, you should just, you should be aware of it, but it could be a bad reading and you should always trust your feel first. Now, however, this is and um, the the key thing that we monitor when we monitor HRV is we monitor a seven day rolling average, which picks up consecutive days of being in the dump, ultimately, right? Like so, being in the dumpster is like m multiple days in a row. That seven day rolling average is going to roll down below your your baseline, your normal value. Well, that's one thing that that you might want to pay attention to especially if it aligns with how you feel, right? So um, we should never just look at HRV as the be-all, end-all. Nothing. We can't look at anything as the be-all, end-all. But when you start to get more than one factor that's aligning up with the feeling, which is the most important thing anyways, um, then we should start to pay attention to it. 
So, um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, in the monitoring context, reduced HRV, um, but then also all the ones that we're aware of, if you're waking up in the middle of the night, not sleeping well, if you're having trouble going to sleep, um, you know, if you, if you just feel flat, if you lack your, your pop or your snap, um, these are all, these are all key, key signs, right. That you're, that you're, uh, that you need to recover and rest better. What about, um, you, Mariana, are there red flags with your athletes that you tell people to look out for besides, um, mood, sleep disruptions? Uh, actually most of my athletes don't measure HRE. Okay. Um, I, I usually have a, a questionnaire at the end of the week, uh, mm. where they write down how, how was their life stress overall? Did they sleep well? If they didn't, what is going on in their life? So I kind of get a little bit of a glimpse what, what's going on in their lives uh, when they fill out the, the questionnaire. Uh, but yeah, most of my athletes don't use HRV. Uh, but I do teach them how to use it and it's totally like optional for them to start using it if they want to or not. But yeah, I talk about importance of sleep and recovery and, you know, taking the life stress into account. What do you see on your questionnaire when are, are people, you know, uh, are, are trends changing in the questionnaire that you go, mm, I need to talk with this person about their workouts? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, as everybody knows, like Christmas time is a pretty stressful, like getting everything done and get ready. Um, so uh, I usually see lack of sleep and more stress and more missed workouts. And that's uh, usually when we have a little talk that uh, how can I help my athletes to modify the plan so that they they get, they can keep the consistency going without it adding too much stress and they still can get everything done before Christmas. I have, um, I have several athletes using Apple watches and some whoop straps and aura rings. What's kind of the general, um, consensus, the science consensus on the effectiveness of those, Paul? I mean, are, are they worth the time? I, I know I don't want to necessarily call out products, but I mean, it's these are things that are available to us as everyday athletes, and are, are they worth our time? And do they give data that's worthwhile knowing? Yeah, I think the my honest answer is they probably relate to the personality of the individual. If you are into that, you know, um, what is it called? Like the, the quantified self or whatnot. If you're into that, that movement, they can be very, very helpful. All of these wearables actually can be super helpful from an educational standpoint. doesn't mean you have to wear them forever, but if you've never had them before, uh, even a period of time when you're actually wearing them and going through this process, um, uh, you know, they can be incredibly enlightening. And I think of the first one that comes to mind is like a, you know, a continuous blood glucose monitor thing, like a, like a super sapiens to give, get insight into when your blood glucose is all of a sudden high based on diet, exercise, stress. Uh, without that, you really are blind. You have no idea. And it's the same with something like an aura ring or a whoop strap, et cetera. Right. So 
you, you, you know, you might feel that stress, but, but you, you know, are you really? And, uh, and how is it affecting sleep, et cetera? So, yeah, I, I think, um, all of them have their place. And, um, you know, I think, I think that uh, the word on the street is that the aura ring tends to be the best, especially the evening averages. Marco Altini, a, a colleague of mine who invented HRV for training, uh, he tends to, he also happens to work for aura ring, but he, but he, you know, he, um, in his work with that company doing the evening averages, I know he's, he believes those are equivalent to his morning resting HRV that he does on his, on his iPhone. So, um, yeah, I think they can be, and, and it's also really nice too, that it's relatively non-invasive and, you know, it's Mm. true invisible monitoring. So, uh, so yeah, I would, um, I would say certainly there's a time and a place in accordance with the individual. Not it's not going to be for everyone. Some people just want all that stuff away, and that's and that's fine too. But um, some of us needs need some assistance, and and especially helps coaches get insight into um, into what's actually going on behind the scenes. Um, because you know, us us as coaches, we often just we're only able to get that glimpse of the training session and maybe a few comments, right? But what actually goes on the rest of the day? And to be able to have that 24-hour surveillance is pretty can be pretty helpful to uh, generating conversations with the athlete. Is there a non-tech monitoring tool that you would use? A non-tech? Well... Like what about like old fashioned, just measuring your heart rate in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great start. So, you know, we haven't even really gone into that. Like why, what's the big, you know, what's the rationale even for heart rate variability versus heart rate, right? Like we should even sort of start there. What, why, Mm -hmm. you know, how did the whole heart rate variability craze even come about? And, um, you know, I, again, I have to, uh, thank some of my colleagues that I was alongside in contributing to this, and there's many, but people like Martin Bushite, who I wrote the book with, with 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 Hit Hit Science, uh, Dan Plews, who did a whole PhD on this area, starting back in, you know, uh, would have been like 20, uh, maybe 2010, we started on it um, and went on for a long time. But but you know, you get into heart rate variability because which is the beat to beat. Uh, variation in your heart rate. I think I, I did, I did mention this last time we mm-hmm. talked about how the heart rate is like a, like a metronome in, initially when you, you first think about it, but it's actually not, it goes to, it, it, it's all over the place with lots of variation, meaning more parasympathetic uh, drive, rest and digest. And then the, 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 the metronome, the, the clock is more the sympathetic. So, it turns out that just measuring the pulse is not as sensitive to stress as heart rate variability. Heart rate variability is a much more, it's much more, you know, refined and precise in terms of its ability to pick up stress and various different things that are in your life. And there's various, you know, there's, there's lots of um, examples that are out there where we see it's reflective data but it's you know you you can see when ju- the the dip before an athlete gets sick or yeah. and, and you certainly see it, a massive dip after something like 
a marathon or an Ironman, et cetera, like these big events. So it, it really, it picks up real events in your life. Uh, and the Holy grail is that if um, heart rate variability is picking up these events that are occurring in you, you can stop them in their tracks. So in other words, if all of a sudden you get three consecutive days of low heart rate variability coupled with a feeling of not, not feeling great, and you and your coach decide, you know what, I think we're just going to put some brakes on everything. You might, you might capture, you might catch yourself before you get really sick and run down going into, you know, overtraining before you get an injury. Um, yeah. As opposed to the alternate where if you just following the plan, then, um, you know, you, uh, you, you kind of, you, you push through. Um, and I saw a really cool tweet from Alan Cousins the other day on this as well. Alan Cousins is a, um, a bit of a guru in the world of uh, also AI and training science. He's a coach as well. So really in that middle space. And he was, he was talking about how heart rate variability is, um, is indicative of your ability to absorb and adapt to the training. So in, in the case where you imagine just doing the exact same session, let's just call it, you've got a, we've all got to do a hit session today. We've all got to do, um, you know, two sets of six 30 thirties, right? Everyone's going to get that today. But if, um, if you're on a, um, a situation with your recovery status and your heart rate variability is normal or elevated, you're going to absorb and adapt to that 30, 30 session. Awesome. But if you're in the tank and you get fed and do that same 30-30 session, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you're not going to adapt the same way. That's what the science sort of shows. And they've actually done these studies. They're really cool. They're called um, uh, heart rate variability guided training sessions. Mm. In other words, what they did in these studies, there's got to be about five or ten now that have, that have shown this. So it's a repeated uh, phenomenon. It actually it actually works, and it's why we're implementing it into Athletica now. But basically, they showed in these studies that when you were prescribed HIT training in the normal or elevated situation with HRV, you um, you adapted, and conversely, in the in like the blanket plan, you and you didn't you weren't being guided by HRV, you didn't adapt as as well. So you the the Clearly, the better road to Rome in terms of your adaptation and your potential is to be paying attention to these these signals, whether it's HRV or maybe you've just got this incredible intuition. But um, in doing these sessions when you're ready to adapt is far superior than 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 the opposite, right? Than just just flogging yourself because it's on the it's on the schedule in front of you. So when an athlete gets those three, four days of a dip in the HRV and there is heat session in the original plan. What do you say to that athlete to do then? I know, I know, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, then why don't, why don't you tell everyone what I would say to you, Mariana? When I'm uh, coaching, what's, what, what, what do you have to do? So coach, coach Paul would say, do some yoga <laughs> or jump jump on a, on a bike and go for a spin around the neighborhood with my son. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Go for a walk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All these various different things, even a swim, even an easy swim mm -hmm. is, is, is nice. Nice. Anything kind of L2 
that's just going to be calming. I mean, you even did this, you know, uh, I, I can't remember if it was off air, you even started with this, uh, where you actually said, yeah, you did, you started the whole podcast saying that, you know, you, you were feeling a little cranky, or whatever, and, and you just went and did that easy L2 sessions. And you felt a lot better after doing that, right? But you yeah. imagine if you, you might not have felt as good, Mariana, if you'd done a hit session, right? Like that's probably not what your body needed or wanted to do. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, you might not have, probably wouldn't have felt as, as that, that great either. No, I, I also have that experience back in the day when I was putting myself in a tank, I would ignore their HIV reading and go with the original plan and do all the heat sessions and the next morning, same again. I felt horrible, tired, not motiv motivated. And I still went with the original plan because that's what I wanted to do and ignored the yep. HRV. So can I, can I, can I throw something in here as well? Yeah, Cause I is so interesting. You guys led off with saying how your partner um, knew you were, you know, not recovered because they, they can tell you that you're feeling a little bit, you're a little bit grouchy. Well, guess who got the same talk yet yesterday as well. And uh -oh. I was, because th thing, things with athletic and hit have just been in a great way going crazy, right? Crazy good, which is awesome. But at the same time, that comes with a lot of stress, right? That as you, as you, as you guys know, cause you're in it with me and uh, well, that, so I knew I needed to do something. I wasn't sleeping well either. So I knew I needed to do something very, very unique. And, um, and just to kind of change things for, change things up for me. So what I did, you're not going to believe this, but um, I did this morning. Can you guys see that? It is what so it we're we're recording right in winter months here in Revelstoke, right? And um, yeah, this is okay. This is the Columbia River, and it is that's snow in front of my my camera. And um, yeah, shortly we should see me going in here. Look, there's a few people here in Revelstoke that do this, right? Like they do it do it kind of for their, for their mental health. Right. And it's, um, there's, we're also really fortunate that right off, um, you know, maybe 200 meters away, the, um, the rec center where I swim is, is open as well. And there's a sauna that's going. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, I have that luxury in dipping in here to the zero degree water and then being able to go, um, you know, straight back up. So I'm in here for about five minutes. Like basically the first 90 seconds is pretty excruciating if you haven't done this. And that's the, really the hard part to kind of get through because you need to, um, uh, and I should say, um, this is very, this can be super dangerous. So be careful. Like this is, um, I have done this quite a, quite a bit. I just knew I needed this, this, this stimulus today kind of thing to get my, to get my, my mind out of, uh, any negative sort of thoughts. I, it's, I think we all go through this and this is why the Wim Hof method has kind of been so, um, you know, so effective. And it's just, it's, it's sometimes we just need this big, this big shock to, to do this. But this um, is, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. 
Well, well, yeah. So I'm just I, I'm I'm now. So again, the first first 90 seconds is is pretty crazy, but then you kind of come back in and you see I'm I'm pretty like I'm coping with it, right? Like you look at my you can just tell the the expression on my face, no problem, right? Like there's it's I'm breathing and stuff like, but it's uh it's manageable. Um, I I reached my five minutes and then it's now it's time to go. This is so cool because my hometown in Finland. Um, it's at the Arctic Circle, and one of my best friends, she's done it since she was like 12 years old, and uh, she swears by it. I was a chicken, I couldn't do it, but my husband did. And he went in, and I wanted to ask you, like, when you go in, are you trying to control your breath? Like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're trying to control the yeah. reaction, what you get. And then just deep breathing, or you just get in there and yeah, I think I, I think I've done this quite a bit, Mariana, and we, you know we can save this for the next episode, but it's like a lot of it kind of comes back to some of the the meditative stuff that we'll mm -hmm. we'll speak on in in the in subsequent um, episodes, and um, really just kind of becoming more in control of seeing these stressors uh, for what they are in your in your mind. But sometimes, I mean, you know, the mind and the body are definitely connected, right? Um, we, we know this. So this is a way to kind of take the, the body um, and, and complete an intervention that is going to have an effect on your mind. Um, because, you know, we, we, you guys were, you were speaking previously about, you know, all of the various different, um, like, again, kind of going to that, uh, the general adaptation syndrome, stress, stress, stress. Well, then there's all of these hormonal and uh, immune and neural um, issues that are taking place all across the body that are creating to that grumpy mood where we started this podcast with, right? I need some, I needed something and I've, I've achieved it with this. I can't tell you how much clearer my mind is now that I went and did that before this, just before this episode. This was literally two hours ago. Uh, and I'm so, you know, I'm so grateful that I, that I did that. Um, so yeah, I, again, there's, there's lots of ways to kind of recover, but this, this is one, this is an extreme method, but, um, I, I know that I, I needed this sort of today and, you know, maybe we can, we're, we're getting close to the, to the time limit on this one, but we can potentially reflect a little bit, um, and speak more on this in, in subsequent issues. So what you know, we've talked about some of the active recovery, like yoga or walking or easy runs or easy rides. What's, what's the science behind that? Why not just take a rest day? Well, I think in all of those, uh, in all of those modes of movement you've described, Paul, they, they involve movement. Um, they involve circulation. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's something fundamental to us humans with moving and there's a, there's a stimulation of metabolism, mostly fat metabolism that occurs that tends to elevate things like ketones, but, but everything in terms all, all of the various different, um, circulating metabolites, but they, and they go to feed the mind, right? We're trying to get the mind under control again. And we, we might also be looking to try to remove some of that, that muscle soreness as well. So in all of those situations that you've just described, 
all of those modes will will do that. Like the, they act on you know mobility, they act on te- body temperature that improve flexibility that um, that and and yeah these you know pain is just a, a real nasty one right like pain in your body it, it it goes back to the brain and back to the mind and it makes us cranky. So if you've any of us that have had a chronic injury for a long time, you know this. So we need ways to, um, and especially as we age, unfortunately, it's just, you know, the more that these types of modes of exercise are, are vital to keeping us going on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that's why they're, that's why they're good, Paul. If, if I were to add something, it would be, um, I would always choose to do active recovery instead of taking a full day off. But if you're feeling like you're coming, like you have a sore throat or you have a, you know, a horrible headache, um, then I would probably take a day off, um, or just do meditation. Um, totally. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I would, do something easy, yoga and snow shoveling. Snow shoveling. I would love to do that. That's what I'm doing lately. I love (laughs) building snow castle. Oh my God. I was looking at the snow there and I'm like, I'm so jealous. I miss snow so much. But um, like, I think people need to find their recovery method, what brings them joy. And what I used to do four years ago, five years ago, totally looks different from my recovery methods now. Like I used to do every morning, I would foam roll and stretch and take my HRV measurements that I ignored. (laughs) But now I do meditation in the morning. That's like my go-to. So first HRV and then meditate. And I can say that I don't meditate every day. But those days that I do, I feel so much more ready for the day. So I'm trying to like, you know, get con- more consistent on the meditation part as well. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, my recovery methods look totally different now than they used to. But I wanted to say that people need to find their recovery method that works for them. Yeah, I agree. And I'll just I'll just echo a similar one with me. One of the things, one of my old bad habits was the first thing that I wanted to do when I wake up is go to my computer or go to my phone and check those sorts of things. And now that is, uh, Dan Plews taught me that actually living, living with him and us sort of traveling various different places. And, um, and he, you know, he always just, he would pull, pull out his book and he would just read, read a, read a, read a novel for a couple pages, but, um, that, that doesn't work for me, but I, I just, uh, um, I, I meditate as well. So I will, the first thing that I do is, um, yeah, I'll get the coffee, coffee pot going, but then I'll, I might switch on the fire or whatever, but I'm going to sit and really just with my thoughts for, uh, you know, 15 minutes before I do anything else. And that's such a better, uh, as opposed to a big, I don't know, there's something, a big tech stimulus is just doesn't, doesn't work for me early, early on in the morning. So I've thought that's been really helpful for me too as well, Marianne. Yeah, it, it, it's so powerful way to start a day instead of, you know, 
going into a place of reactivity, you know, checking mail or reading the news. That's the worst thing you can do first thing in the morning. Totally. Because there's nothing positive in the news no. anyways. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to, yeah, give you a big sympathetic stress that you don't need. Right? Yes. Slow, slow to rise, right? Oh, yeah. Let your body, <laughs> let your body wake up uh, naturally. Yeah. I, I have to confess that's one of the first things I do is I check Google News in the morning. You know, mm. I'm going to have to check. I'm going to have to work on that then. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. yeah. So here are my three takeaways from our conversation. We had a pretty wide ranging conversation, but I would say that number one, um, mood, sleep disruptions, um, nutritional changes, those are determiners. Those are factors, not factors. Those are indicators that somehow our recovery is going well or is not going well. Number two, it is a good thing to monitor recovery in some way, whether it's HRV for training, whether it's some kind of app, um, whether it's simply checking your resting heart rate in the morning. There is an educational value in learning what your body is doing and how it's responding. And number three, there is a lot to be said for active recovery, like yoga or walking, easy runs and rides, where there is some kind of movement to help you get your mind under control. And even, Wim, and even Wim Hof. And, and exactly. <laughs> all right. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And join us next week when we talk about the most important tool you can guess what that is for good recovery. From Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I am Paul Warlowski, and this has been the Athletes Compass Podcast. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athletes Compass Podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI Adaptive Training Platform, athletica.ai. Thanks.